0: Blog Talk Radio
1: You are listening to The Four Persons Network We are Blog Talk Radio's One and only authentic Catholic Defenders of the deeper truth of our Sacred faith To learn more about what we do go to our show page At thefourpersons.com And our blog site at thefourpersons.net If you would like to Call in tonight with your comment or question, The number is 515-602-9655 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. For follow-up information after the show, email us anytime at email at the fourpersons.com. That's email at the fourpersons.com. Now sit back and enjoy the show.
2: thank you everybody and welcome tonight tonight is Friday which means the Luke Haskell show uh, except that we have no Luke haskell tonight he had uh, he had called away to uh, some obligations so um, I'd ask you to keep Luke and his family in your prayers
0: um,
2: and uh, we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing the show in his in his stead tonight so Tonight we're going to get into one of the most misunderstood aspects of all of Scripture, maybe the most misunderstood. Uh, It's certainly the most uh, misused and abused book in all of Scripture. And the people who talk the most about this book, which is the book of Revelation, are clueless about what the book is really about. Most of the current assumptions of how to interpret the book of Revelation grew out of the vivid imaginations of dispensationalists from the 1970s. Not all of the assumptions, but most of them. And you have to abuse the plain text of the scripture to come to these bizarre conclusions. The book of Revelation is not a countdown timeline of end times events. In fact, some 95% of the book was fulfilled within two years of when it was written. And let me repeat that. Some 95% of the book of Revelation was fulfilled within two years of the time that it was written. Now, I know people don't want to believe that, but it's, it's the truth. The use of symbolism and imagery and even coded language is deep and profound. It was written in a very exaggerated form of language called apocalyptic language. Much of the secret coding that's in the book was placed in the book of Revelation because of direct insults to the Jews of the day or the Romans could mean death. So they coded things and and said things in symbolic and coded ways, even using numbers sometimes to disguise their message. Important thing is, who John was talking about would have been very, very clear to the audience of the day. The book of Revelation is in large part about the end of the old covenant and the destruction of the old Jerusalem and the replacement with the new Jerusalem and the new covenant, which is the Catholic Church. And the book goes into great pains to show Catholic worship as the true worship of God. The Catholic Mass is the principal feature, and we also see the hierarchy and the intercession of the angels and the saints. Among them is Mary, who is shown as the true architect, of the covenant, the woman assumed in heaven. Sorry, the pages are sticking together here. <laughs> The mother of God, the queen of heaven, the enemy of the devil, and the mother of all true believers. The book of Revelation is a tapestry of the plan of God, past, present, and future. And it reaches a dramatic climax with the destruction of Jerusalem, the great whore, in chapters 17 and 18. And following that, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven. This new Jerusalem is, of course... The Catholic Church Now first Let's look at the book From the context of the book of Revelation John wrote four other books That made the New Testament canon He wrote three letters And he wrote the fourth gospel In the first Three gospels called the Synoptics Jesus foretells with Shocking clarity A prediction Of an event that would soon come to pass and this was an event that would have seemed unthinkable at the time. And this was the condemnation and the fall of the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew, it's recorded in chapters 23 and 24. In Mark's gospel, it's in chapter 13. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 21. Now, why is John's gospel silent on this cataclysmic event right, Let me give it a little per- bit of perspective <laughs> See, the temple in Jerusalem was, a, was a, you know one of the seven uh, man-made wonders of the, of the ancient world The heaviest stones in the temple in Jerusalem were like a million pounds There were stones that were 200,000 pounds that were elevated to a height of 100 feet The doors were nearly 60 feet tall and took six people to open. How they created a a structure like that with the technology they had is just unbelievable. The point is that Matthew's uh, gospel, 24th chapter, opens up with the apostles mesmerized looking at, at the temple and all the buildings and Jesus said, "You see all these things, do you? I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another." And he used the word, the, the, the Greek word that's used is "lethos," little pebble, "petros," as the uh, Protestants like to like to say, "lethos." Would have been unthinkable. So, why is this unthinkable, unspeakable tragedy recorded in the first three Gospels, but it's not? You know, written in John's gospel. Now, some people say, well, okay, well, John's gospel is the only one of the four gospels that was written after the fall of Jerusalem. Well, that's true. And yet, all of the gospels contain events that happened that were fulfilled before the writing of the book. So it doesn't make any sense that John's gospel would be silent on this question. Well, the answer lies in the fact that although John's gospel wasn't written before the fall of Jerusalem, the book of Revelation was. And it is in this book that John deals with the fall of Jerusalem, the prediction of the fall and the actual event of the fall. That's why he doesn't deal with it in his gospel, because he he'd already dealt with it in this book. Now, contrary to earlier speculations, the best evidence now shows that that the book of Revelation was written some 30 years before his other works. And it was written in the year of the the four emperors, 68 AD. We know that for two reasons. And Scott Hahn is one of the best people pointing this out. One of the reasons we know that is because John's grasp of the subtle nuances of the Greek language was much more refined in his later works, which were 30 years later. So it shows that he was not as accustomed to the nuances of the Greek language when he wrote the book of Revelation as he was when he wrote the other books. And the other reason why we know that it was written in 68 AD is because the clues that are given in the book clearly tell us that that's when it was written. We'll get to that in a little while. People are making the same mistake with the book of Revelation that they make with the other prophetic writings. And I'd like you all to take time – I'm just going to highlight this, and I want you to backtrack and go – take some notes here and go back and look this up yourself. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 24, because there's a lot of verses in here that are used to describe end-time events, which are not end-time prophecies. You have to really, really parse the verses to, to understand this. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus predicts the fall of Jerusalem. That's when he says, you see see these things, do you? I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now, in verse 3, very carefully read this. In verse 3, they actually ask Jesus three questions. And he answers all three questions in order Is when will this be That's question number one Now when will this be Referring to the statement that Jesus made You see these buildings I tell you all will be thrown down Not one stone will be left upon another So what the apostles are asking is When will Be the fall of Jerusalem But then they ask him And what will be the sign of your coming And of the end of the age The three questions When will the fall of Jerusalem take place? And when will be the sign of your return and of the end of the age? Those are the three questions. And you have to rightly divide the passage because everything down to verse 34 deals not with the end of time, not with the return of Jesus at the second coming, but with the first question, the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus tells us this very clearly when he says all of these things will happen within this generation. Very interesting that uh, the word that's translated into generation is a word that literally means 40 years. Which is pretty incredible when you think about it because Jesus is making this prediction in 30 A.D., the first year of his ministry, and indeed 40 years later in 70 A.D., Is when Jerusalem fell. So we're not talking about Jesus coming as king to gather his bride. We're talking about Jesus coming as avenger to take his wrath out on Jerusalem. Revelation must be understood in this context, and it is exactly what is said starting in chapter one. In chapter one, it says, Behold, he comes with the clouds. I will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, what has an eye? A human body. <laughs> so, what Jesus is saying is the people who are still living will witness this, even those who pierced him. So, Jesus is coming to take vengeance on the people who crucified him. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus, when recording the fall of Jerusalem, interestingly enough, recorded reports from several people who gave eyewitness testimony to seeing figures running among the clouds in the sky. This is documented. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Jesus is talking about something, John is talking about something that is imminent, Not 2,000 years in the future, something that is about to happen. Now, how do we know this? Well, in chapters 2 and 3, we see the seven letters written to the seven churches. And the angels or messengers were actually the bishops of these churches, and they're all warned. In one way or another, each of these seven churches is warned to get their act together. Or they would fall Well guess what All seven churches fell And more than 1500 years ago Cannot be Or almost 1500 years ago So this cannot be referring to our future Okay These churches are long gone They're not around in the 21st century In chapter 4 John is literally called up to heaven and he sees what authentic worship looks like in heaven. Now, when I talk to people about what is true worship, and you know, they accuse us of worshiping Mary, they accuse us of worshiping the saints, and it say, okay, well, what goes on in your church with your electric guitar and your band, that's not worship. What we see here is what true worship looks like. Around the throne of God, we see 24 elders on thrones and wearing crowns. We also see the seven spirits of God. It's a very interesting phrase there, seven spirits of God. Now, that could be referring to one of two things. It could be referring to a symbolic reference of the seven gifts of the one Holy Spirit, or it could be referring to the seven highest angels or spirits around the throne of God. And I can... I tend to go with the second interpretation, but that's only an interpretation. The fact of the matter is there's angels and saints surrounding the throne of God, and they're sitting on thrones with crowns. Well, this clearly shows there's a hierarchy in heaven. Well, this is the Catholic view. This is not the Protestant view. In chapter 5 and chapter 8, we see angels and saints delivering prayers from the people on earth to God. Catholic intercession. You don't see this in Protestant churches. This is not part of Protestant worship. The angels and saints are de- delivering our prayers to God. Well, they can't deliver those prayers to God unless they receive them. This is this right here when people say, well, what does it say in the Bible you're supposed to pray to the angels and saints? Right here. It's right here. And And remember, John is seeing what worship looks like in heaven. So, this is what it's supposed to look like. We're supposed to emulate what we actually see in heaven. Okay? What else do we see in the intervening chapters? Well, we see priests in robes, we see incense, we see candles, we see lampstands, and we see an altar with sacrifice. Looks a lot like the Catholic Mass, doesn't look anything like Protestant services. We see the Great Supper of the Lamb. John is literally in heaven, visualizing the Catholic Mass. And there's no, no other way to put it. John is being shown what authentic Catholic, what authentic worship looks like in heaven, and it is undeniably Catholic. In chapter seven, we see a different list of the twelve tribes than we see in Genesis 35. Very interesting. Eleven of the names are the same, but Dan is removed, and it's replaced with Manasseh. Manasseh was actually Joseph's son. So you're seeing 11 sons of Israel and one grandson in this revised list. Now, there's two reasons for that. One, it's being shown that the Catholic Church is something different. It's the new Israel. It's Israel fulfilled. And the second reason is there's an Old Testament prophecy about Dan being a viper by the road that bites the rider so that he stumbles backwards, just as Judah is shown as the tribe of the Messiah, Dan is shown as the tribe of the Antichrist. We see the 144,000, which is a symbolic number, and it's expressed again in chapter 14, and in chapter 14, we're expressly told that these are men who have not been defiled by women, and who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Folks, what else could that possibly be referring to than the Catholic priesthood? Couldn't possibly refer to anything else. In fact, in chapter 5, we are explicitly told that God has made a kingdom of priests to reign on earth. Now we get to chapters 11 and 12. Now, remember, at this point, the Ark of the Covenant had been missing for some 500 years. Nobody knew what happened to it. So John views the temple of God in heaven. John is in heaven, and he views the temple of God. And what does he see within the temple of God? He sees the Ark of the Covenant. And what does he describe it as? Does he describe it as a huge golden box with poles and two cherubs on the top of it? And No. John describes the Ark of the Covenant as a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars upon her head. And the amazing thing that we see is in those 18 verses of Scripture, we see the Ark of the Covenant. We see the Queen of Heaven. We see the woman clothed with his son, the woman assumed body and soul into heaven, the enemy of the devil, the mother of God, the mother of the true believers. And we see all that in 18 verses of scripture. And it can only obviously refer to Mary. In chapters 13 through 18, we see in bold form the beast Nero and the Roman empire and the harlot Jerusalem. And, the harlot is explicitly identified as Jerusalem in verses 17, 18, and 11, 8, and we'll go into other places too. Finally, the new Jerusalem and the call for Jesus to return. Now, we're going to focus in detail on chapters 11 and 12, and then we're going to focus on chapters 17 and 18 and, and go into detail on that. But first, I want to welcome two of uh, the members that I'm very very proud to, to call uh, members of the the four persons family. First of all, the first one, Luis Segundo. Luis, how you doing tonight?
3: Good and you. I didn't realize that I was beautiful. I mean, I wanted to contribute, but um, um you did a very perfect job explaining everything. I'm okay. doing good and you.
2: I'll be I'll be right back with you in just a second, but I want to introduce. Our other caller, this is um, right now he is our most popular show. He's been ranked in the top 20 on blog talk radio in uh, Christian shows for three weeks now. That's quite an achievement. Um, welcome Ken Litchfield Ken how are you doing this evening?
4: Hi John Hi Lewis. Glad to be on the show with you. Uh, I hope I can contribute something useful. Good well,
2: I, I, I'm absolutely sure that you can So I'm going to kind of go um, Round robin to both of you So Ken let me start with you And um, You know w- w- When we talk about the Ark of the covenant in the Old Testament We're talking About a typology And if people don't understand That then uh, I, I don't know what to tell them in the Ark of the Covenant, it, it it held three things in inside of it. Why don't you talk about the three things the Ark of the Covenant held inside of it and who those three things represent?
4: Right. Well, the first thing the Ark of the Covenant had was the five scrolls written by Moses and the Ten Commandments and some of the manna. And also Aaron's staff, representing the authority of, you know, that Moses had given to Aaron. Uh, the manna represents the miraculous bread from heaven that God gave the Israelites as they were traveling to the Promised Land. The Ten Commandments and these five scrolls from Moses represent, represents the Word of God. And the word of God in the Ten Commandments in the scroll prefigure Jesus as the word of God who became flesh and came to us through the new Ark of the Covenant, which is Mary.
2: Right. Yeah, it's interesting that all of the things, I mean, you look at the priest, the the, the rod of Aaron, for for instance. Now, that, that kind of symbolizes two things, because Aaron was two things. He was the high priest, and he was... Um, the shepherd okay, And both of those are things that, that the Bible ascribes to Jesus Jesus is the good shepherd Who lays his life down for his sheep And uh, the book of Hebrews Calls him the high priest In the order of Melchizedek uh, And then when You talked about the word of God You talked about John chapter 1 Says in the beginning was the word And the word was with God And the word was God And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us And then you talk about the manna The bread from heaven And Jesus says of himself I am the true bread from heaven So all of these things That were inside the Ark of the Covenant Symbolically Represented, represented Jesus okay? And that made the Ark of the Covenant So holy That it couldn't even Be touched uh, Lewis let me go to you real quick you know the story of Uzzah,
3: right? Yes, um, it's still revolving the Ark of the Department. Um There are people that tried to touch the Ark and died because of its holiness. They couldn't resist. Um, they couldn't overcome it. Right. So if the
2: symbolic Jesus inside the Ark of the Covenant of the Old Testament made it so holy that it could not even be touched by man, then <laughs> Lewis... How how holy would Mary be? She held the real Jesus inside of her. How holy would she have having to I think that
3: alone. I think that alone proves the Immaculate Conception. Besides Scripture just directly telling you in Luke one twenty eight and Genesis three fifteen, it proves it because um, if she wasn't fully sinless, holding God in the in the form of Christ would have killed her.
2: Right. And now Amen. go going back to you, Ken, you, you basically have a catechism of Marian doctrine in <laughs> those eighteen verses of scripture between eleven nineteen and twelve seventeen. Let, let's go through it point by point. First of all, she's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon mm-hmm. under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars upon her head. Now we'll get to the crown in a minute. Uh but Ken, she's got a head and she has feet. <laughs> what does that mean?
4: Oh, well, that means she's the tribe of Israel. Well, at least that's what Protestants want to say. <laughs> right.
0: Uh,
4: but, but no, if she has a head and a crown, and the moon is under her feet, that means she's an individual person, just like the devil, Satan, the serpent of old, is an individual. And the Messiah that rules with the rod of iron is an individual. So we know
5: that the person in the middle is not the nation of Israel. It's a
3: person. Right, and she has
5: a body. And if I
6: could add
3: something. Yeah, go ahead, Lewis. It's Mary representing Israel and the church. It's not literally Israel and the church. It's Mary, the person. It's literally Mary acting her role as queen, representing the nation of the church and, and, and Israel. Um, so that's the thing the Protestants miss. And, I mean, they'll use very badly thought-out arguments. Like, um, did Mary flee, for example, for one hundred and twenty, uh, 1,020 days in, in the desert? No, that was Israel, but that still falls apart because the woman is described doing things Israel never did. For example, well, the woman is shown taking part in the battle against Satan in heaven.
2: It's interesting, um, the flight the flight that Mary is, is um, uh, told to have, uh, the three-and-a-half-year flight of Mary, uh, is addressed by Mary uh, of Agreda in her book, The Mystical City of God. That was uh, when she fled Jerusalem to escape the persecution in Jerusalem. Um, uh, but in, in, the, the point that I was getting at is she has a head and she has feet. That means she was assumed into heaven. So, we have now confirmed Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. We have confirmed her as assumed in heaven. Okay? Then the next thing is has. If I can add problem- one
3: quick detail, one quick detail. Right before Revelation 12, in, in verse 11, it actually mentions the Ark of the Covenant, and then it goes right to the woman, showing that the Ark, the woman right. being described, is the Ark of the New Covenant, and we know that to be Mary. Sorry?
2: Right. So. Ken, back to you. In Luke 1, when Gabriel appears to Mary and and makes the promises about the son that she was going to conceive, uh, he tells her that she's going to conceive a a child who's going to be the son of God. But the other thing that he tells her is that her son would sit upon the throne of his father David. So Gabriel is literally telling Mary that her son is going to be the Davidic king, the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom. Okay? Well, yep. next next to the king, who is the highest officer in the Davidic kingdom?
4: The queen mother.
2: Yeah. <laughs> because because mother... Solomon
4: had 700 wives and 300 concubines, so he couldn't pick just one of them to be his queen. So he picked his mother Bathsheba, right? And all of the uh, Jewish, or, yeah, the Jewish kings after Solomon always had their mother as queen. Mm-hmm. And so, since Jesus is the Messiah that sits on the throne of David, he has his mother as queen also.
2: Right. So the queen mother of the Old Testament again was a typology it was it was a foreshadowing okay then the next thing the next thing is it says that she gave birth to a male child destined to rule all nations with an iron rod this is a clear calling out to psalm 2 which was clearly a messianic prophecy and her child was called up to God and his throne. Now, this is what kills me. When you ask Protestants, well, who's the child? Oh, well, it's, it's Jesus, obviously. Well, then who's the mother? Oh, that's Israel. <laughs> what? <laughs> Can you make any sense of that, Ken? Does that, does that argument make any sense to you?
4: That, well, they have to bend over backwards to to not allow Mary to be assumed into heaven. and. It doesn't matter what the Bible says and what typology says, you know, because it doesn't say Mary is the woman in heaven. You know, they they can make it whoever they want. (laughs) Right. But logic dictates that, yes, it's Mary.
2: Yeah, it's a logical syllogism. You know, I've I've described this to people to say, well, oh, Mary's not the mother of God. Well, then who is she the mother of? Oh, well, Mary is the mother of the human Jesus. Okay, all right. Jesus is not a pizza, okay? He's a person, and that person is fully human and fully divine. And if Jesus is not fully human and fully divine, well, then we're in a lot of trouble because crucifixion didn't mean anything. But again, like you said, they go into the, in the pretzel logic to, to to try to deny this truth. I'm going to go back to Lewis for the next point, okay? Okay. Because Lewis, yeah. this is an interesting thing, and it was also brought up by uh, Mary of Agreda in her book. And just so you know, I read her. It was four volumes. It was like almost 3,500 pages. These four volumes, um, uh, a mystical city of God, which is it's 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 about Mary, and. Maria Vagreta is, is the first person I know, uh, I believe, to introduce this. And I'll, I'll go to Lewis first, and then I'll go back to Ken. But um, it says that what 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 happened after that? What was what was the, now? It starts off chapter twelve by saying a great sign appeared in heaven. Okay, a great a woman sign. With a, a woman clothed with the sun. Now, sign is 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 a. Uh, is a visualization that shows us something. Well, what happens next after the sign of the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars upon her head? What was the next thing that happens?
3: Give me one small second. And I do also want to add, right before the woman is presented and mentions the ark, showing that the woman and the ark are one and the same. Right. But just give me one second, please. Um,
2: All right. Let me go back to where well, you're looking that up. Let me go back to Ken on this point. Okay. Ken, what is the next thing that happens after the
7: sign?
3: Um, I found that, um, and being with the child, she cried, traveling in birth, and was in pain to be delivered.
2: Yeah. But I'm talking about after she gave birth, what was the next thing that happened?
3: Another great sign appeared in heaven the great dragon. Satan, i here, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diams. And this tells through the third part, of three parts of heaven and Casamont's earth. This is referencing how Satan seduced one third of the angels.
2: Yeah, and the seven heads of the seven heads of the dragon represent the seven uh, the seven deadly sins. what happened next, Ken? Um, war broke out in heaven. Okay. Right. And Maria Vagreta says that Mary was the reason why the war broke out in heaven because Lucifer was shown the sign. Uh, basically, God pulled up the big projector screen, that the 82 inch big screen in heaven, <laughs> and and put the put the, the the DVD in and said, Hey, look, behold the Queen of Heaven. And Satan didn't like that at all, did he?
4: Right. The mere human is going to be the queen of heaven. We can't have that.
3: Right. So, it was jealousy. It was jealousy and envy. I'm sorry for interrupting.
4: Yeah.
2: Well, no no problem. But where we first see this in Scripture, I'll go back to you, Lewis, where we first see this in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What do we see there? Yes.
3: That um, in a it in to Protestants in their bad interpretation, they think that Jesus, I mean, God is talking about um, Eve when He's actually foreshadowing Mary. He says that there will be an um, He will put a great enmity between uh, Satan and his seed and the woman, which is Mary and her seed, Christ. And the enmity represents complete and total separation from Satan yeah. and sin.
2: Yeah. Now going back, I know you're a you're kind of a student of the of the Old Testament in the original languages, Ken. Um, to an Old Testament scholar or to a Jew reading the Old Testament, how shocking would that language be? Her seed—that—that's it, it. Was impossible. It was never there was never a reference in the scriptures to the woman's seed. It was always the man's seed, the seed of the man. And now here you're seeing the seed of the woman, and 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 when you parse the language, you parse the language. It's very very clear that the enmity exists between the woman and the serpent, okay, and that she will crush his head while he strikes at her heel. Now I know a lot of modern Protestant versions, and unfortunately even some Catholic versions say he. But that's not what the original language says. It's very explicitly that she will crush his head. and then also, can offspring is plural? Isn't that interesting?
4: Yes. Well, Jesus is Mary's original offspring, but since we become members of the body of Christ through the church, you know we too can help crush the head of Satan by being faithful Christians and an extension of the body of Christ's world. And there's, like in the New Testament, Jesus always refers to his mother as woman. And it ties back to this original woman from Genesis. And they're referred to as the Gune, I believe it's Gune passages. Um, I believe that's, like
2: they would be using the Septuagint as a New Testament original Greek. Yeah, I. Mean, it's just the interesting thing is that that because they don't understand that verse, it's it's kind of it. They kind of dovetail in the fact that they don't understand that verse, and there's so many verses that are based on that verse that they don't understand. For instance, in um, the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel. When Jesus says that those who do the will of God Are my mother and my brothers and sisters So I've actually had Protestant males That tell me, well, when I do the word of God I'm actually Jesus' mother Okay, (laughs) that's an absurd interpretation for you to come up That's not what Jesus is saying Jesus is not saying you are his mother If you do the word of God What Jesus is saying is Those who do the word of will of God are my mother, comma, and my brothers and sisters. In other words, his mother first, preeminent as the one who did the will of God, which is exactly what Elizabeth said. Blessed are you who heard the word the word of God and obeyed. Jesus is saying the same thing, and then he's saying that those who do the the rest who do the will of God are his brothers and sisters, and children of his mother and we see the same thing in john chapter 19 when jesus looks down from the cross says son behold thy mother woman behold thy son and then it all ties up in revelation chapter uh, verse chapter 12 verse 17 and lewis um why why don't you talk about what verse 17 says
3: it says all that follow um Christ are the children of the woman. All the you know that are yeah. part of the church are the children of the woman, and that woman is Mary.
5: It, now exactly. it, it it's very interesting. And the,
3: drag, and the dragon right. was angry against the woman and wanted to make war with the rest of her seed, who kept right. the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ.
2: And there is that enmity again from Genesis 3. The dragon is angry at the woman and went off to wage war with her and her children. Now, the interesting I want thing to, is…
3: I want to quickly add two things that will furthermore destroy Protestant logic. They'll turn around and for example say no oh, that that the children of the woman is the church it's the church that the 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 woman is a metaphor for the church, but no the woman is representing the church, but the woman is still Mary uh, and second of all, like going back to my original point um They'll claim for example, Mary um, can't be the woman because she never did any other things that Israel did. But the thing about it is is they, they have a big a very big hole in their logic and very big double standard. Because Israel never did any of the things the woman is doing in Revelations either, for example, fighting in the war against heaven. When did the, the tribes of Israel fight in heaven against Satan and when he took one third of the angels with him? Never. Right. Right. So that, that just that logic is very double standardish. Uh, and it yep. shows it just doesn't fit in. It, it shows more that the woman has to be uh, a literal person representing different um, people and events in Scripture. But it, it's one literal person, though, just like the other three characters in Revelations are literal people. I'm sorry for interrupting you.
2: Right. No problem. Let me go back to Ken. Ken, you're, you're right. They do backflips and somersaults to avoid the identification of the woman in Revelation eleven and twelve as having to do with the Catholic Church, but then they turn right around and they do backflips and somersaults to try and tar uh tar us with the other woman, the woman that's in Revelation seventeen and eighteen. Isn't that isn't that interesting?
4: Yes, well you know <laughs> Protestant logic, you know, just goes back and forth to Assign whatever meaning they need at that moment And it doesn't have to be consistent
2: Right By the way, Chantel Raines Shout out to Chantel Raines Who is listening from the Philippines And she's taking on a greater role here And we are very, very happy for her help And um, we're very, very glad that she's listening So when, you, talk about, when you when you talk about The woman in Revelation 17 It's amazing Because it's just as clearly That scripture tells us Who she is Uh, You know when you talk about uh, You know the purple And scarlet yarn And the gold and jewels And precious stones and pearls And the golden cups and all that That's straight from Exodus chapter 25 Very very clearly showing us The vestments and the appurtenances Of the priesthood in um, in Israel And it's, it's The language is really interesting Because when it says Come let me show you the condemnation Of the harlot who sits On the many waters Who has committed fornication With the kings of the earth The language is very very past tense And present tense the, It talks about the condemnation As something that has already been handed down When you go to the original language when it talks about has committed fornication, this is something that's past tense. Um, who sits on the many waters. This is something that is present tense. There's nothing in the language that can be twisted in such a way to make this a future prophecy, Ken. What how do they how do they pretzel logic this into something referring to the twentieth twenty first century? Right. Well,
4: you know, so many Protestants are uh, consumed with the, the rapture idea, and so they have to think of the book of Revelation as all being prophecy, and so all about things in the future and how, you know, right. things are going to get bad, but will get raptured away, and none of that bad stuff will actually happen to them, um, which, you know, is another great sales feature for these modern Protestant churches, um, but one other point I wanted to make was
0: mm-hmm.
4: that, uh, we talked mm-hmm. about the woman who has other children that keep the uh, commandments. You know, for our Protestants, brothers and sisters that think, you know, once saved, always saved, and it doesn't matter if you keep the moral law or not.
2: Yeah, you know, interesting. This kind of yeah. blows
4: their, their theology that, you know, the moral law doesn't matter anymore because the law has been abolished.
2: Well it's clearly well, a mystery. It should say law. it should say the children of the woman children who children. once said a, said, said a prayer and were saved forever. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but going back to the woman, in, in, back, in, in, woman
4: in, in
2: All right, I'm hearing an echo. Is somebody, you're on, you're a echo. somebody on a
4: speakerphone?
2: Um Well,
4: I'm on a uh, speakerphone in my car. Okay.
2: Okay. Um I I don't know uh, m- I, I don't know Maybe you can turn down the volume or something. I'm just getting an echo. All
4: right.
2: All right. Anyway, All right. T- talking talking about the woman again, they uh they like yeah, yeah. to seize on the verse that like says, Well, you know, she, she well. sits on the seven hills. She
4: sits on the seven hills.
2: All right. You know what? While I'm talking, right, I'm so going to go ahead and just mute, and your ahead, okay? mute your and microphone, okay? And I'll bring you on okay, when, so I
4: you, okay? when I need you, okay? When I need you, okay? Well, actually, um, I'm just about home here, so I need to sign off for now anyway.
2: Okay. So All right.
4: it's up okay. to you, you right. and Lewis now.
2: All right. So All right. Folks, I'm really sorry about that. I was getting a little – were you hearing that echo, Lewis?
3: Yes, I was.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just kind of distracting. Anyway, um – but I appreciate his input. He he had some he had some great input there. Uh, but going they yes, they like to seize on the verse that says the woman who sits on the seven hills. Well, you know the the, the problem with that, Lewis? Yes. The, the word yes. that the word that John uses is oros. What does the word oros mean?
3: Honestly, I'm not familiar.
2: Okay. The word oros means mountain. The word for hills is bunos it's, it's a mistranslation by the King James Seven hills oh, would be well, bunos surprised me Okay The word oros means mountain So the verse should say And the Douay Reims gets it correct The Douay Reims says the woman who sits on seven mountains Well, guess how many cities were known in antiquity As the city that sits on seven mountains
3: Um, Jerusalem
2: There was only one, Jerusalem, okay? Now, it talks about the seven, it says there's also seven kings. It says five have fallen, one is, and one is to come. And when he comes, he will last only a short while, okay? And then an eighth king, it doesn't say the eighth king, will rise up out of the abyss. This is symbolic language. Let's table the eighth king for a minute. The seven kings, five have fallen. Augustus, Tiberius, Claudius, Caligula, Nero. Those were the first five emperors. They were all dead. The sixth king, who now exists, Galba, and he will exist for only a short time. And he exists literally for like three months. Then he's replaced by Othos, who also reigns for only about three months, just like the Verse says he will will reign only A short time This proves That John wrote the book of Revelation In the year 68 A.D. which was Known as the year of the four emperors There were four emperors In the year 68 A.D. Beginning with The first of the four Was Nero Okay And John identifies Nero not by name But by number Okay, he gives a number and his that number represents
3: 666
2: 666. Six, six, six. And what he's saying is the eighth king that will come will be the 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 beast Nero rising up out of the pit. Now, is John talking about literal reincarnation? No. No, he's talking about somebody who will be as if Nero was raised up out of hell. He's talking in symbolic language here. And of course, he's talking about the emperor Vespasian, who, along with his son Titus, laid siege to the to the city of Jerusalem and 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 destroyed it, killing more than a million people. Now, if there's any question that that the poor is the city of Jerusalem, I'm about to clear that up right now. In verse seventeen, eighteen. It says very clearly, and the woman that you saw is the great city who has dominion over the kings of the earth. Okay? Lewis, you notice it says the great city? It doesn't say a great city or one of the great cities. That would imply that there's only one great city, right? Yes. Yes. All right, let me read to you from chapter 11. Let's go back to chapter 11, verse 8. And their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city. There we see that name again. Listen to this. That symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Uh, Remind me again, where was our Lord crucified? Jerusalem. Exactly. So it's telling you right here you don't have to guess anymore who the whore is it's telling you it's the city of Jerusalem okay let's go to let's go to chapter 18 just to just to really hammer this home okay chapter 18 fallen fallen is babylon the great she has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit all right For all nations have drunk with the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed uh, immorality with her. This is talking about something that has already happened in John's time. This is not a future event. And that gives context to verse 4, and how many times have you heard this, this verse used against us? Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven. How many times have you heard that verse used against you?
3: Plenty of times. And um, I do want to add something Mm -hmm. that kind of connects to the theme of what you're saying, which is very biblical and historically true. But because Protestants, you know, they don't trust the church fathers or misuse the church fathers, they don't see the, the book of Revelations as for what it is. Um, something that mostly has been fulfilled, you already you said, but um, they don't understand the all the time in revelation works too, and would you don't understand the time of something, it's easy for you to misinterpret it and and you know not understand um these things have already happened, for right. example, when I brought up revelations five eight showing you know the saints praying for us, and the book of Tobit, uh, which is a separate thing, but it also affirms the people in heaven can pray for us, to Christ. Uh, they'll say, oh, that, that, that's after the second coming of Christ, and that's a perfect example of how they don't understand the the terminology, if that's a word, of revelation. Because if right. they understood it, they would know that it's not after the second coming of Christ, it's long before the second coming of Christ. Um, exactly. Please me. I'm sorry for interrupting
2: that, no, no, no apology needed. So when we when we look at what I was just reading, Revelation eighteen four, let me read to you something from Luke's Gospel, chapter twenty one, and tell me if this doesn't sound remarkably similar. Now this is Jesus speaking himself. Okay, starting with verse twenty, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out of the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infant in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. That's what, Jesus, that's what John is saying when he says, come out of her, my people. In other words, when you see the armies just like Jesus warned you, when you see the armies surrounding the city, flee to the mountains. Don't look back. Don't look back. And you know, for context, <laughs> the siege of Jerusalem was the bloodiest battle e- ever in the history of the world up to that day or ever or ever will be. And there were over a million people yes. that were killed. Right. right, let's go back to Revelation Eleven eighteen again. Okay, Revelation eleven
3: eighteen. Do you want me to read it?
2: I'm I'm pulling it up right now. Okay. Um. All right. I I, I lost my place. So basically, it says that uh, she was
3: the versus question. Um. Sorry. I, found I have the verse right in front of me.
2: Yeah, verse twenty four is the verse I'm looking at. Eighteen twenty four. Okay, uh,
3: verse twenty four. Um, um eighteen twenty four. The nations rage, but your wrath has come, and the time for the judgment, the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and all saints, and all who fear your name, both small right. and great. And are you
2: reading are you in Revelation?
3: Yes, I am. Um, Re-
2: Revelation chapter 18, verse 24.
3: Oh, geez, I, I typed in 11, 24. I'm sorry. i
2: right. yeah, no wonder 18, I got 20, it wrong. 18, 24. And no you, problem.
3: and in you, and in you was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and all of whom have been slaughtered on the earth.
2: Right. Okay. So the blood of the prophets was found in the whore, right? So what was the yes. city that killed the prophets?
0: Beautiful. Could you
2: flip your Bible back to Matthew chapter 23, would you? Okay. And read verse 37.
3: Jerusalem Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her, her brood under her wings and you were not willing see your house is left to you Bethlehem, left I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord
2: I mean how much clearer can it be than that Jerusalem is a city that killed the prophets, you know. And then I, you know, you got these people that will say, "Wow, yeah, but okay, Jerusalem was one of the cities that killed the prophets, but but it doesn't say that it was the only city that killed the prophets." Okay, all right, fair enough. Could you flip to uh, Luke chapter thirteen, please?
3: Oh yes. What verse? Any verse in specific?
2: Yeah, Luke chapter thirteen, verse thirty-three. Okay. And this is Jesus speaking
3: here. Yet today, tomorrow and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. I mean I, I don't know how much more you can
2: you, you you can make it than that. You know, we've already demonstrated that the book of Revelation is talking about something that was imminent. We've already demonstrated the Catholic Mass in the first eight chapters of the book. Every element of the Catholic Mass is there in the book of Revelation. Virtually every doctrine that we have on Mary is fulfilled in chapters 11 and 12. And we very, very clearly showed that 17 and 18, chapters 17 and 18, are about the fall of the city of Jerusalem. I mean, I don't know. How much more clear could you get
3: than that? You can't, but again, once you read scripture outside of the guidance of the Catholic Church and you know the church history we use, wacky interpretations like this are inescapable and If I could also add another fact, the early Protestant founders hated the Book of Revelation so much because at least they understood or at least. Uh, that shows that they understood it properly, that they wanted to remove it from the canon of Scripture. Luther himself absolutely despised the book of Revelations just as much as he also despised the book of of James. He did not uh, want them in the Bible at all. Um, That's something the Protestants should probably know that a lot of them are ignorant of. And many Protestant reformers also um, saw it that way because... um, it's just—it's just like the seven books of the Old Testament. They took out. They saw how um, strongly Catholic they were, and they saw it as a threat. So they didn't want those books in scripture. Right.
2: So we need to take a commercial break real quick because we got to cover our sponsors. Um, so we got a few commercials we got to play. Then I want to come back, and we're actually going to overtime here. But I want—I want you to hold. Can you hold through the commercial break? Yes. I want you to hold through the commercial break because when you come back, I want to talk about what exactly the Protestant Reformation and especially this idea of Sola Scriptura was about. It was really about the fact that Luther was backed into a corner. He painted himself into a corner, and he invented Sola Scriptura out of whole cloth. In order to try to extricate himself from an argument that he was trapped in. And um, what he basically did was build a castle upon sand that every non-Catholic denomination is built on this castle made of sand. So we'll be back after this commercial break and we're going to talk about that.
1: The Four Persons Inc. is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. All legal rights reserved. Any unauthorized use of our content is prohibited by law. To make your tax deductible donation, please send your check or money order to The Four Persons Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. For any comments or questions, email us at email at thefourpersons.com or call us at 240 240-
5: Here is the latest podcast scheduled here on The Four Persons. You'll want to write this down so you can keep up with our shows. On Monday at 7, will be the new night of The Tangled Knot with Deb Rojas. Tuesday will be a flex schedule. Some weeks we'll have shows on Tuesday, some weeks we will not. On Wednesday, that will be the new night of Uncounseling with Dr. Fred Bowley. Again, that's on Wednesday at 7, Eastern Time, Uncounseling with Fred Bowley. Thursday will be the second flex schedule date of our week. On Friday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, it is the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show with Ken Litchfield. Then at 7 p.m., the Luke Haskell Show. On Saturday at noon Eastern, it is the Burnt Toast and Coffee Show with apologist William Hemsworth. On Saturday evening at 7 p.m., it will be... The Taking It to the Streets show with Terry Delp. Bend on Sunday at 5 p.m., it is Catholicism Rock. That is our regular schedule, and as things change, we will notify you here at The Four Persons.
7: For a Catholic counselor? Dr. Peter Klaponis, Deb Rojas, and the team at Integrity Counseling Services provide faithful Catholic counseling in Pennsylvania and beyond. We offer telehealth and in person counseling for porn addiction, betrayal trauma, anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, and much more. You can find us at integritycounselingpa.com or 610 601 9781. IntegrityCounselingca.com IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610-601-9781. Looking for a Catholic counselor
0: or coach? Dr. Fred Boley provides faithful Catholic counseling and coaching for men in Missouri and beyond. He conveniently offers telehealth services for anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, or just getting stuff done. You can find him at stbarn.org or 872-269-1280. Once again, the number is
6: 872-269-1280. She is a Catholic recording artist, multi-award winning songwriter. She sings contemporary and folk rock music, She has been in the music industry for over 5 years. Her music is her ministry. She aims to help people that suffer from all kinds of pain in life and try to bring them to the Lord through her music. She has 3 albums out and her music is being played on radio stations all over the world. Her website is lisa.marinacole.com and she is on social media. Her music page is Facebook.com Lisa Songs of Worship. YouTube at Lisa M. Nicole. Instagram Lisa underscore Marie underscore Nicole underscore official. Her songs can be purchased on her website, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and everywhere else. Her merchandise store has everything for her ministry and can be accessed through her website. Her new CDs will be available very soon and can be purchased through her website. She counts herself blessed that God has chosen her to help spread his message. She is Lisa Marie Nicole. Get her music today.
0: In a recent article published in the Secular Press, a journalist tried to characterize Our Lady's Rosary as a symbol of radical Not coincidentally, this smear piece was released on August 15th, the feast of Our Lady's Assumption. As Catholics, we should be aware that the rosary is, in fact, radical and extreme, but in a way very different from that intended by its critics and enemies. The word radical comes from the Latin word radix, meaning root, and it is in this sense that the rosary is very radical. For it brings us to the very root of our Catholic faith, which is the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
6: For some of the finest hand-crafted rosaries you will find anywhere, please visit our friends at JMJ Catholic Shop. JMJ Catholic Shop is a family-owned business out of Detroit, Michigan. They pray the rosary together and they are inspired to change the world by the power of this devotion and provide beauty and faith. They allow customized, personalized, and bulk orders. Please visit them at etsy.com slash shop slash JMJ Catholic Shop or find them on Facebook by searching JMJ Catholic Shop. Make sure you mention that you heard this ad on the Four Persons podcast.
1: Top Gun. Top Gun of Virginia has been serving the East Coast with quality swimming pool shop creek and gunite applications for over 35 years. The strong legacy of craftsmanship that Top Gun has garnered is backed by the pride we take in creating a lasting product. Top Gun will help you stay on schedule and within budget while still maintaining the level of quality control and safety that is expected from a name with 35 years of experience.
6: Top Gun. Top Gun of Virginia is a premier supplier of commercial shotcrete and gunite services on the East Coast. Shotcrete and gunite are forms of pneumatically applied concrete, which can be used to build or repair structures. Shotcrete and gunite can perform jobs which are not possible or are more difficult with traditional form and pour concrete applications. Top Gun uses our own volumetric trucks to apply engineer-certified mixes of both wet and dry process applications to meet any need.
7: Top Gun. Top Gun is located at 10017, Richmond Highway, Lorton, Virginia, 22079. You can reach them at 703 550 9207 or email them at infotopgungunite.com. At Make sure you mention that you heard this ad on the Four Persons podcast.
2: Right, you have to pay the bills, so we have to run our heads. Lewis, um, Martin Luther basically was losing a debate. Um, and, you know, this uh, I've seen it a million times. Um, you get somebody that's losing a debate, doesn't want to admit that they're losing the debate. So, you know, they showed him the facts. They showed him that... You know, how the early church basically refuted everything that he said and his response was to create sola scriptura out of whole cloth. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, and it was a very desperate response. Um because it's not sola scriptura is ironically not found in scripture or church history. And um If you actually go on to study the rest of Martin Luther's story, he tried to recruit other other Christians that existed before the Reformation, like the Orthodox. um, He brought up Sola Scriptura and all his ideas, and they fully rejected them.
2: And, and of course, they would because it's a logical conundrum. It's a self-refuting philosophy because how can you – How can you appeal to the authority of Scripture while rejecting the authority of the church that gave you the Scripture? It's like a dog chasing his tail around in circles in the middle of a room.
3: Exactly. And um, again, the fact that all other apostolic churches, which also, also stem from the Catholic Church, they're just not in communion with us. But the fact that they rejected him too should serve as a lesson to any Protestant that tries to use the excuse that oh the Catholic Church made up all these doctrines that um the Bible alone isn't, for example, the only authority. Um the fact that all of Christianity prior to the Reformation rejected those ideas showed that we didn't make them up. Um but so those let still me ask you this did.
2: Here here's a logical argument that I was going uh that that, that I could make to illustrate how absurd solo scriptura is. So, say you had 100 people in a room, and you asked those 100 people, what color should a school bus be? 50 of the 100 people said that a school bus should be yellow. 50 of the 100 people agreed that a school bus should be yellow. The other 50 people all agreed that the school bus should not be yellow. But none of the 50 agreed on what color that the school bus should be. One of them said it should not be yellow, it should be green. And one said it should not be yellow, it should be red. And one said it should not be yellow, it should be orange. Blue. and Blue, and on down the line. Okay? If you were evaluating that argument, which side would you be more convinced knew what they were talking about?
3: The one that agreed that it was yellow.
2: I mean it's just common sense takes over at this point okay so that's what you have here because 50% of the of of the Christians roughly they all agree on on every doctrine they all agree on every liturgy they all they all agree on you know every reading that we have in every mass they agree in transubstantiation they agree in the sacraments they agree on all of these things and the other half says, oh, we're wrong. The Catholics are wrong. But one says, well, we're wrong on the Trinity. And then someone else says, oh, no, no, no. They're right on the Trinity, but they're wrong on baptism. And then someone else says, oh, no, no, no. They're right on baptism, but they're wrong on Mary. Or they're right on Mary, but they're wrong on, you know, and on down the line, they're on down the line. Um the fact that they're fractured and the fact that they don't have any unity, you you can open up the scriptures. That's a scriptural test that that they're wrong because the Bible says a house divided against a house itself divided cannot, stand. cannot stand. So to me, yes, um, every time I debate with a Protestant,
3: go ahead. And even they acknowledge this, that, um, There were some things that they were universally agreed upon, but as time progressed, those things disappeared. And now the only doctrine they're pretty much any um, universal agree upon now for Protestants is Sola Scriptura, which is ironically the same doctrine that's caused them to be divided in the first place.
2: Right. And they have to agree on Sola Scriptura because it's the foundation upon which their opposition to Catholicism exists. They can't have any uh, any justification for the opposition to Catholicism unless they adopt Sola scriptura. Well, the, the you know, the problem is that, you know, they're they're hoisted by their own petard, as the old as the old saying goes. So whenever I debate anti Catholics and they want to talk about Mary and they want to talk about indulgences and the rosary and scapulas, they want to go down all these rabbit trails, and say, Okay, we we can debate all of those things. But first we debate sola scriptura. That's the first debate. Um, And then, you know, after that, their whole house of cards uh, falls down. So I know uh, I got to get going, and I know you probably do too. Real quick, what do you think about what we're doing here at the Four Persons? I I think we're really moving in a good direction. Don't you agree?
3: I am in full agreement. And um, we just, again, we're only a few months old, but I think we're reaching a lot of people. We've already gotten uh, very famous Catholics the guests are, and um, I think we are really playing a good role as um, God's hands. Well, not to give us, you know, not to be arrogant, but servants of God, I mean. So I feel like we're moving in a very positive direction. We're, you know, acting as very good tools and servants of Christ. And what more could we ask for?
2: I, I think that's what it all boils down to there is that we, we, we
3: can't take
2: our eye off the prize um, none. Of, this is not about John, this is not about Lewis this is not about Ken, it's not about William, it's not about Luke it, it's not about us, it's about the mission, it's about God and it's about spreading the love and devotion of our of our Catholic faith Lewis, why don't you um, why don't you close us out with a prayer
3: in the name of the Father the Son of the Holy Spirit, I say this in the name of the three who are one um Please guide us, Holy Spirit, in serving Jesus Christ and through him the Father, and all things He deems us fit and designed us to do. Please always, as my brother John said, help us to remind us that this is about the Trinity and pleasing you, and not pleasing ourselves. Please help us to be your... Um, arms and ears and hands and guide people into the church that you married and started, the Catholic Church. Please drive away any confusion and hatred that um, Protestants have falsely gotten against your bride, the Catholic Church. Please help us to do this with charity and with patience and love when guiding uh, Protestants back to the church. Please forgive us for any times that we have fallen and give us the strength to rely on you to get back up and keep serving you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
2: You have a wonderful weekend, brother. And um, we got a, we just real quick, we got a lot of stuff going on, folks. Uh, a lot of shows going on. First of all, um, William has uh, William Hammersworth has had to upload a uh, a.
5: Pre-recorded
2: edition Okay, I'll see it God bless Uh, Just letting you know, William Hemsworth has had to upload a pre-recorded edition But we're going to have a show uh, Saturday night Terry Delp is going to do a show And we're going to talk about the atrocity of abortion And practical steps that we can take to overcome it Uh, On Sunday, we have Catholicism Rocks On Monday, we're back with the the Tangled Knot with Deb Rojas, and we've got other shows that we're that we're working on. Um, big shows, big guests coming up next week. We have to iron out all the details. Big things coming up on the Four Persons. We ask you to pray for us, keep us in your prayers, uh, and support us if you possibly can. God bless.